let's start making our way back in here. Give us a few moments right here. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll sing hymn number 262. There is power in the blood. Here we go. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. On the second. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would for cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Sing it out in the last. Would you do service for Jesus your King? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily His praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Amen. Good singing. And thank you so much for being back this afternoon. It gives us another opportunity to be a blessing to you. Or in this case, it gives Brother Tim an opportunity to be a blessing to you because he'll be bringing our afternoon message. And I am so thankful that God uh, led he and Carissa here. And we're still getting to know them and to appreciate them even more. So I know he'll be a blessing to you. And then Brother Casey said that, well, Casey, say what you need to say. So this financial piece starts this week. You know, and I've already spoken about how valuable the class is, but let me add this too. It's interesting. I mean, it, they make it very informative, entertaining, if you will, funny at times. Uh, it's, an, it's an enjoyable experience, and uh, uh, again, if you've never done it, you, you need to, to do it, and I so appreciate Casey and Scott making it happen. All right, any other announcements before we move on? Yes, Carson, you have an announcement? You thank God for everybody's back at church now. Well, thank you, Carson. Any other announcements? Nope, you're good. <laughs> Carson's my buddy. Oh, and thank you for whoever made the birthday cake possible. Really, it's a dual birthday cake because not only is my birthday on January the 14th, but Miles' 
Uh, Pullum is January the 14th as well. Um, to remember his age, just subtract 60 from my age, okay? <laughs> I am 60 years older than Miles. I remember a couple years ago, I told him, I said, Miles, we were born on the same day. And he looked at me like, how, how can that be? <laughs> Let me have a word of prayer. Brother Tim is going to come and lead us in another song. Then he'll have you seated, and then he'll preach to us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for uh, our church family. And Lord, uh, I, I love Sundays, love Wednesdays. And anytime we can gather, Lord, help Tim and I at all times to be a blessing and an encouragement and a good example to these folks. Lord, bless him this afternoon as he speaks to us. Lord, change my life. Grow us all, Lord, through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remain standing, Brother Tim. All right, our last one is hymn number six, I Sing the Mighty Power of God. We'll sing all three verses of this one. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and filled the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at his command and all stars obey on the second I sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food he formed the creatures with his word and then pronounced them good Lord how thy wonders are displayed where'er I turn my eye if I survey I tread or gaze upon the sky. Sing it on the last. There's not a plant or flower below, but makes thy glories known. And clouds arise and tempests blow by order from thy throne. While seated and I'll we'll go ahead and jump right into this go ahead and grab your Bibles and we'll be in James chapter number two this afternoon James chapter two while you're turning there um, my wife told me that I should leave this up to a vote for the church I, I kind of got heckled a little bit when I first started trying to grow out my facial hair. As you can see, I'm a bit follically challenged. So I, she told me that I should, oh, I should turn my mic on. Thank you. Shining me so, there we go. All right, now you can hear me. She said that I should take a vote in the church and see whether I should keep it or whether I should shave it or what I should do. So in, in the 10 seconds you've had to think of it, who's in favor of shaving? Oh, we got, and who's in favor of keeping? Wow, okay, let's stay in. She says it takes away my baby face, because apparently I have a very young-looking face, so it makes me look a little bit older. So I think, I think that was majority keeps, so you're, you're lucky. You got it. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I gave you some time. James chapter 2, we'll start in verse 1, and we'll read all the way down to verse 9. We'll read, we'll read our passage for today. 
James says here, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which we are called? If ye fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. Before we delve into this, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll ask the Lord's blessing on our uh, message this afternoon. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity that you've given me to just come before the, the church here and to bring what I believe that you've laid on my heart, Lord. Just help me to speak uh, clearly to these people and to really uh, bring forth what I believe that you've laid on my heart and just help me to uh, portray it eloquently as best I can. And uh, we give you all the praise and honor and glory for it as well. You know we pray? Amen. So we're in James, James chapter 2, and there's a lot of good information that James uh, gives us in this book as a whole. James is often, the book of James has often been considered the Proverbs of the New Testament. You know, Proverbs is a book that's kind of uh, a lot of great wisdom, a lot of easy stuff to just kind of hold and grab onto and just use this as truth. And that's what James likes to do in, in this book. So there's a lot of good nuggets around here. Um, this is actually one of the books that I recommend for uh, people who are starting off on devotions. If you haven't been doing your devotions lately, that's kind of a different topic. But I always recommend James as, as a good starting point because it has a lot of good truth in it for people to start off with. You know, just getting really good nuggets of truth out of it. So James is, is often referred to as that. And if you read James chapter 1, I, I think I did a message on, on James 1 a little while ago. But he writes to the believers and he, he he writes this to the New Testament church, but right now they're being scattered, and right now they're under persecution right now by Herod Agrippa, and that, that comes from a historical context. So right now they're under persecution, and this is to the, it's also to the church, but it's also to the people who are the Jews who are still haven't quite converted over to Christianity at this point, but he, he gives this, this letter to them and also to this other people. So, uh, the, the one thing that I want you guys to take away from this, and maybe you got it from the reading, but I, I, I entitled this is, Are, are We a Welcoming Church? Are, are We Being a Welcoming Church? And what I want to relate this to you as, is, is, we'll, is we'll read this again, we'll look through it, we'll go verse by verse later on. But James does a great job of telling us exactly what we should do when we see someone come into our church. When we see someone that we don't know or someone who's, who's been out for a long time maybe or, or possibly that someone that we invited that, that didn't even think would come or just someone who's a complete stranger to us. He does a really good job of telling us exactly how we are to treat people and how we like to look at people as, as a certain form of status and how they are and how they carry themselves. And James does a really good job of tearing down those walls. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll reread these verses and we'll go verse by verse. So verse 1. He says in here, have not the faith. He says, uh, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ in respect of persons. What he's saying here is he's, he doesn't want us to, um, when he's saying there, have the faith, he's not talking about, um, he's talking about the Christian faith. You know, faith is used as 
you know, as, you know, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's not talking about that. It's talking about the faith as, as the Christian values, as the Christian faith, as, you know, we are a group of faithful believers in a sense. So he's saying that as, as us, as the Christian faith, he's talking about us. And in verses 2 and 3, he explains this person that comes into the church. He, he explains two people. He, he talks about the first one as being one who has gay clothing, which is a very bright and flamboyant and, you know, a person of power. He has gold rings and a symbol of status and wealth and power. And actually what he's talking about, how we know that he's talking about to the church and also to Jewish believers, is that in the, in the synagogues, what there was is where they would meet for, for their, uh, in their church, as in a sense, they would have everyone either sit on the floor or they would stand, but there were also very few benches in the synagogues. And so normally what would happen was, is back in, back in biblical times, people would kind of fight for those, those benches. And it was normally the religious elite that kind of got those, those, those spots to, to sit, you know, whether the Pharisees or the Sadducees or whoever was there of noble status. So that's where we get, let's, let's read verses 2 and 3 again. For if they're coming to your assembly, a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man and vile raiment, have you a respect to him that weareth the gate clothing, and saith unto him, Sit thou here in a good place. It's referring to sitting here in the good place, like here. Have the bench, sit here, you know, sit next to me, like you're a, you're a really good person. And then, continue on in the bottom of verse 3, And say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. He's saying, you just Go sit with the common people. You know, go sit over there in this corner. You don't really care about them. You know, you care about the person who has this, this, this you know, this status or this wealth, or you, you know that this person carries themselves well. And James kind of condemns that in these later verses, and we'll keep reading down there. Verse 4, this is where we'll read it again. Are you not then partial in yourselves and become the judges of evil thoughts? The words, the words judges of evil thoughts is kind of an interesting way of, of you know, telling that to me, is that you know, a judge is someone who's supposed to be righteous and uphold the law, and he calls them judges of evil thoughts. He calls them people who are terrible judges, and you know, we in America have always heard maybe of maybe one judge or another that has, you know, done the wrong thing or kind of used his wealth or his power to gain something that he normally wouldn't have if he was a common person. And that's kind of what James relates them to, people who were unfair and were treating them poorly just because of they could, they had this certain power. So James condemns that in verse 4, and we'll look at verse 5. We'll read it through here again. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs to the kingdom which he hath promised to them, that love him. I, I like how James describes this because if you read through the Bible, God likes to use certain words and certain phrases to kind of, kind of, to kind of trick people up. This, this certain phrase, uh, let me read it again here. Uh, oh, I lost my spot. Where was it? Here it is. God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to them that love him. He likes to use this. If, you, you might know exactly where I'm going, but I'll just read this verse. It's 1 Corinthians 1.27, and it's kind, of, it's kind of similar to that in where, you know, God kind of, confound, he uses the stuff of the, the weak-minded to uh, stumble the, the strong-minded. I'll, I'll read it here, 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound things which are mighty. And that's how, that's how I kind of see it, is that God is using the, the poor people as, you know, this is, these are my group of people. He's not worried about the rich people. He's not worried about the status. And this is how he's explaining to it. Verses 6 and 7, we'll go ahead and read through here. And we're just kind of overviewing these verses, and then we'll go ahead and hit some, some major points. So, starting in verse 6. 
But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme the worthy name by which ye are called? And James is really referring to the people who claim of status and who are out in the world and really fight and jive for these, these places of power that these are the people that really are not friends of Christian circles. I mean, you can probably think of people who are in the world who are well off and not necessarily following after the principles that you, that you want. So why would the people of... You know, you've got to think back in Bible times right now, right? They're, they're still under persecution of Roman government at this point. And the people who are the wealthy and they have the status right now are the people who probably are oppressing them at this point. The, the parts of the religious elites or whether it be you know, spiritual persecution because right now it's very, it's very broken apart, right? You've got the people who are following after the teachings of Christ and you're still having the people who are following after the old law. And you also have the government who's persecuting these group of people. So realistically, why would anyone want to show favoritism to these, these high-off groups when they're really persecuting them? And it really shows where their hearts are. Their hearts aren't in, the, in Christ right now. Their hearts are for their own gain. Their hearts are for the, you know, maybe if I can get close to this person, you know, this person will help me further along in, in my personal life. You can kind of see where James is kind of, is, you know, he's trying to wake them up like, hey, these people are persecuting you. They're taking you to these courts. They're doing all these terrible things to you. Why would you show them favoritism over someone just because of their, their worldly possessions and their worldly status? And that's where he brings together in 6 and 7. And the culmination of everything in verses 8 and 9 is this. And I really like how he ends this, this certain passage. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. It is, James kind of takes this and he culminates it all. And he says, if you are doing this, if you are showing favoritism to someone, whether it be in the church or wherever, someone visitor comes, if you're showing favoritism just because they, they dress well or you know they have that certain power and you're not giving that same that same, you know, love and, and uh, attention to that person who comes in that maybe isn't dressed as nice, you are committing a sin. And that's, you know, he just flats out put right there. If you're showing favoritism, if you're showing, if you're playing favorites just because you know this person is rich and he has power and there's another person you're just completely ignoring them, you are committing a sin. And that's where we want to come as, as, a, as a group right here is figuring out, are we playing favorites when visitors are coming to the church? How are we supposed to be a welcoming church? And the first point that I want to look at is that it's not to, it's not to look at the outward appearance. You know, we, we know, you know the classic verse, God looketh, or man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. And I want to, I want to hit some main points right here. So this main point, and I, and I, I kind of already referred to this, is the first main point if you're, if you're taking notes, is if you are showing favoritism towards others based on wealth or status, you are committing a sin. And sin is something that we kind of we throw around, you know, somewhat flippantly. Like, oh, you know, you, you committed a sin, Jesus Christ died for your sins. But if you specifically show favoritism to someone who you know is new, or someone that you have no idea is, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to formulate how I'm trying to, to say this, but if you know that someone has a specific place of power or of wealth, and you're showing them favoritism, you're going up to them, you're, you're welcoming them, hey, welcome to our church, my name's so-and-so, but there's someone who comes in that maybe isn't dressed as well, or you know is from a poor part of the community, you are committing a sin. And it's just, it's just flat out put like that, and we know we all should condemn sin, so I want you to really look at that. It's, it doesn't matter if it's someone that you know, it's, you know, it's a, a hypothetical situation, you invited co-workers or something from, from work, and your boss shows up, and you know, like, hey, I know that's my boss, 
and you normally don't greet people at all. You're kind of just a person in the church. You're like, well, they're hey, you know, let's just say, say Jim. They say, hey, Jim, it's nice to see you here. It's wonderful. You know, I, I go to this church. You know, it's good to have you here. And you're specifically going up to that person because it's your boss. You know, hey, if he knows that I'm a Christian or if he knows I'm close in this circle and he comes into my circle, I'm going to have a great opportunity in you know, the next coming elections to get up to, the, to climb the corporate ladder or whatever it may be. Showing favoritism, that is a sin. No matter what it is, because that other person who comes in, you know, two weeks ago or that next week, and you're like, oh, you know, I don't know them. I'm just going to go sit in my normal spot. Just kind of listen to pastor, sing the songs. I'm just going to leave. You know, you're showing favoritism because you know exactly what you should be doing as a church. We should be welcoming. And if we're not welcoming, and we're showing welcoming and favoritism to the other people who we know are of the status, we are still committing a sin. And that leads into the, the second point that I have, is every lost soul is equal and worth fighting for. The one thing I want you to learn about is, or let me, let me ask you a question before I get into that. How much is your soul worth? How much is your soul worth? I want you to think about that for a second. If you could put a price tag on your soul, where you spend eternity, how much would you put on it? Realistically, just think about it. There, there have been authors, you know, writing stories about that throughout all of, all of time. You know, I, I I sold my soul to the devil for wealth and for power and for all this money in, in the world. But then when it comes to it, you spend eternity in darkness. If you have that person that comes in that you know is of that wealth and of that status, why are you valuing that person over another? It doesn't matter what their status is right now. They could be the richest person in the world. They could be the poorest person in the world. Realistically, their soul is worth the same. That's what I'm trying to get to. The soul is worth the same. So it doesn't matter if you're, if you're gaining something from that person by going up and being, hey, you know, welcome to our church, but you're ignoring that other person that you have no idea who that is, or, or you know that, oh, they, they kind of smell funny, they're not as dressed as well, I'm just going to kind of, you know, ignore them, hopefully someone else comes and says hi to them. First of all, it's a sin, right? But you're neglecting that person's eternity. You're neglecting that person's soul. It comes back to that. How much is a soul worth? Every soul is worth the same, and it should be priceless. And when you come down to it, you should really realize exactly why we're showing favoritism. It isn't because, you know, you think that that person's life is worth more. It's because of your own comfort, it's because of your own gain, and it's because you're committing a sin. So I encourage you to be welcoming, not only to the people of status, but also to the people who are not as, as, uh, as fortunate as, as some. And this last point is, a healthy church is the best light to the community. Being kind to all is not based, should be based on anything except for their soul. A healthy church is the best form of, of being a light to the community. And that's something that pastor likes to say a lot, and that's how he thinks that a, a great way of showing light to the community is. If we as a church are welcoming to whoever comes to that door, rich or poor, tall or short, male or female, whatever they be, if we're welcoming in a healthy church, then we can win so many souls to Christ. Because we know that, you know, whatever it be when they leave, I hope when they leave, they say, man, that was a great church. People came up to me, didn't matter what I was doing, what I looked like, you know, what I had done, what they knew about me. They came up and they said, hi. They offered me to sit with them. They offered me to go, with, go back to the meal with them. They offered to, you know, to show me around everywhere. I hope that when people leave this church, they think that this church is a welcoming church and a great church. And I don't want that to be based on status or wealth because that's what the world looks at. When the world looks at someone, just think about, a, think about a car dealership. You know, people always say this when you're going onto the car lot. If you're dressed in, in your nice suit or your nice Sunday clothes, 
people are always eager to come up and be like, hey, what you looking for? Right? But if you go out there in you know, your pajama pants and a t-shirt or something, they're, they're, they're not too eager to go out and, and talk with you if you're on like a, a new car lot or something. Right? So the world is always based on stuff of, of the outward appearance of their money and of, of everything that they can say that their status of is, is of the world. But when we come to a church, James shows us exactly how we're supposed to treat people. Not based on wealth, not based on status, but based on their soul. Their soul is priceless. And I hope that you can really, really ponder that and just think about that in the next coming weeks. When you see someone you don't know or you see a visitor come in, be welcoming because their soul is on the line. We don't, I mean, maybe there's someone that has visited and we just, we, we know that there's someone from the community. But if you still go up there and talk with them, their soul is important. Their soul is priceless. And that's what I want you to show, and I, this is what I want you to see out of, out of James this afternoon. Their soul is perfect, their soul is priceless, excuse me, and being a nice, healthy church is a great way to show that to the community. And I hope that you'll be thinking about that for the next upcoming weeks. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we just thank you so much for your word and for uh, the light that James shows us and how we are to, to treat people coming into our church, not based on their, their status or their wealth or whatever it be, but based on their soul. And I pray that these people will be a welcoming church and they'll be a church that really focuses on lost souls and being a light to the community. Just be with us as we leave this place. And it's Jeremy, we pray. Amen.